like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to speak this morning before we start reading our text on the subject of monitoring our heart. I started actually preparing this message early in the week. And the Lord, um, and I'll close with it. We're not there yet at the closing. <laughs> in conclusion, we'll close with a, a, an illustration or something that occurred just on Friday that I had no idea God would bring into our lives in our home and family. But what he did do in the beginning of the week was is I had an EKG. When you think of monitoring the heart. Now, the reason I had it wasn't, thank God, because I was aware of something wrong. But it was because uh, in order to um, increase um, my life insurance policy, uh, which my wife and I prayed about, uh, you needed to, if you're 50 and a male, you need to get an EKG. And so nowadays they come to your home and they draw blood and do all the, the work. And so I was laid out on the couch and they had the, the leads in me and on the legs and on the feet and then the machine is there and it's all that tape that's doing its thing and makes you realize that uh, it's a very special part of our body, isn't it, that God's created us with. By the way, if I, I get approved and if it all comes well and then you hear of a, my sudden passing <laughs> in, the, in the next uh, few weeks, <laughs> you may want to just see what the circumstances were behind it. So... <laughs> The human heart, it is amazing. It's only the size of, of a closed human fist. found this data that was fascinating when you really ponder this. It beats an average of 75 times a minute, 40 million times a year, or two and a half billion times in a life of 70 years. At each beat, the average adult heart discharges about four ounces of blood. This amounts to 3,000 gallons a day, or 650,000 or 650, gallons a year, enough to fill more than 81 tanker trucks of 8,000 gallons each. The heart does enough work in one hour, the time that we'll be here together, to lift a 150-pound man to the top of a three-story building. And it's been said that it expends enough energy in 12 hours to lift a 65-ton tank car one foot off the ground, or enough power in 70 years to lift the largest battleship afloat completely out of the water. If you can understand why the psalmist says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, huh? You really can. But interestingly, in Proverbs 4.23, you have this verse from Solomon where he said, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Another translation puts it this way, Guard your heart. And of course, the reference in Proverbs when he's speaking of the heart there, he's not talking about the, 
the pump in our chest that does all that amazing work that I just discussed and shared with you. But it refers to the center of a person's inner life, the moral and the spiritual issues that we deal with. And the interesting thing is God is very concerned about our spiritual heart. It's something that he addresses many, many times in the scriptures. And we know that when someone isn't right in the, when, in the physical sense, if there's a heart problem, they have a heart condition, that's how we describe someone who has some kind of an ailment with their heart. And the same is true, isn't it, of the spiritual heart. At some point, if you know Jesus Christ today, you knew that there was something wrong with your heart, spiritually. That you, you needed uh, a new heart that only God could bring for you. In that sense, he's really the best heart surgeon out there, isn't he? I mean, when you just think of it, uh, he not only is the wonderful healer who can touch a person's human heart physically if there's a problem, but he goes far deeper than that. He touches a human heart and he changes the insides of a man or of a woman. The convictions of what drive us, that might have been just polar to his purposes. He can change that heart and give us that whole new outlook in life. And what I love about him is that when you think of Jesus' heart, when Jesus was walking the earth and, 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 and then in the and then in the sense, in the pure sense now, in heaven, it's a pure heart. There's not a heart with Jesus that there's anything in it. We, we have a hard time really understanding our hearts. As a matter of fact, it says that we, we can be easily deceived. Who can know it? But yet with the Lord, we look at him and we can say there's absolute purity in his heart. And with Jesus, the difficulty is, is with him, it says in in John 2.24 that he never needed any help. Remember that passage. He never needed any help discerning what was inside a person because he knew what was inside a man. That's much more difficult for us, isn't it? Very difficult for us to look at each other, to look to the person to your right or left or behind you and say, I know. And we're cautioned against doing that of saying, I know what's in your heart. Because how do we? And then for ourselves, it raises the question, well, how do I know sometimes what's going on in my heart? When I was getting that EKG on Wednesday, it was reading the condition of my heart. And I trusted the fact that the, since the, the nurse offering it didn't look at it and say, um, you know, uh, Mr. White, uh, maybe you ought to go see your doctor tonight. You know, she didn't say that. So I'm trusting, you know, it's a good report I trust. But it was monitoring the condition, the amazing technology of it all. But it gets a little bit more difficult sometimes if we have to think about it this way. is How do I monitor my spiritual heart? What's the way that I can tell today the condition of my spiritual heart? And in this parable in Matthew 13, while the heart isn't mentioned specific in it, it's the condition of of the soils, if you like, in this parable that really are a good description of our heart. And you pick up the story when we get to verse 3 that it says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And Jesus says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. If you look at this passage in the parable, really what it makes you think back is, is you'd have to go back into the springtime. And if you could just picture yourself back in, in Israel, you've got a man and he's sowing seed in the field. Probably got some kind of a large bag over, and as he's doing, he's just throwing the the seed into the field. And Jesus, who's a wonderful, simple preacher and storyteller, makes it real clear of what's going on here. It's falling on different kinds of soil in this parable. And he says first in verse 4, and he breaks it down into four types of soil that there is, that some seed landed on soil besides the road. And really the problem with this soil, it was, it was like pavement. And it was continually walked on. So you can imagine what soil, as it's continually walked on, what it's going to be like. It's like cement. Earlier this year, I would say probably the big project at the White House, in Castor Valley, that is, that's been going on, is as we did a, a remodel of our deck. And uh, with that, I don't know if you've been involved in these kind of projects, but you think it's just isolated to a remodel on the deck, and then you look at your lawn, and then you look at your garden, and then you look at everything else, and you say, you know what, it's time to refinance, you know, maybe, <laughs> if you're in a situation where you're blessed to be able to do that. But what I saw was, is in May when they started, I had a nice lawn, not a great lawn. It was a 35-year-old lawn, but it wasn't, I thought it was great, my wife thought it was terrible, so maybe it was somewhere in between. But it didn't take long for these workers as they were there doing the deck work and doing all of that. And then we had to have new fences that were falling down from some of the storms over the last few years that the lawn that once had some degree of green and life in it became just a pile of dirt. And it wasn't even nice dirt. It was so hard that our dog wouldn't even walk on it. It was that bad. (laughs) I mean, he walked around it, literally. And... um, and some of the times he did some things, I think, just to show what this is, how bad this lawn is. And um, but I saw something that just was was like pavement and it, it had really no value in the sense that I thought, I wonder when this is all done, I'll just get a couple bags of seed and I'll, you know, I won't have to have it over my shoulders, but I'll just start shoveling seed onto this pile of cement looking dirt I thought, I don't know if that's even going to take, uh, if that's even going to germinate. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be able to do anything. I didn't think it was going to penetrate, so it, it, it made no sense to invest $30 into seed on something that had weeds and everything else in it. Luke, when he tells the story, and it's also found in Mark as well, this parable, he says what the birds didn't eat, well, the problem was the travelers would walk on it. So it was a no-win situation. It never germinated. And then he goes on to say, and Jesus will tell us in just a few minutes the interpretation of this, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. But I want you just to keep thinking about this in the context of your spiritual heart today. The second is that some seed landed on, it says, shallow soil in verse 5. 
Jesus described it in this context as it has rocky places where they did not have much soil. It was shallow. In Israel, a limestone rock bed uh, would run through much of the land there. In some places, it was super deep and you would never be able to reach it. In other places, it was much more shallow. And it would be just uh, inches below the surface beneath the topsoil. And the interesting thing is, as you think about this soil, as the farmer was going about it, is, is as the seed fell on these shallow places of where it was, the roots would soon reach the rock and have nowhere to go. And so what would happen is with the roots unable to go deeper, the young plants would refocus their energy, if you like. Rather than getting roots down deep, what they would do is, is they would start to make a plant But then the problem was, because the roots weren't deep, you had this appearance of a beautiful plant starting to take shape. But when the sun came, it scorched the plant because the roots hadn't gotten deep enough to get the moisture. It landed on shallow soil. I'm going to resist going into the interpretation of that until we get there. Now we come to verse 7. He says, some seed also landed on weedy soil, if you like, weedy soil. Now, the interesting thing about this was, is that the soil looked good. It was deep, it was rich, and the seed would begin to take hold, would begin to germinate. But something else was going on that you wouldn't see initially. There were weeds. There were weeds that had been tilled underneath the plowing, and they were still there. And so at some point, these thorns and these weeds were going to come up and they were going to choke out the good seed. I'll have to confess, one of the things that I was watching over the summer was as I was looking at this lawn and we have a a neighbor who planted bamboo all along the side of his fence. And um, he planted the bamboo because I think he wanted to have uh, a better, let's just say he didn't want to have a view of our house. So he planted bamboo. So it went, goes right up, and it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. I don't know if you've seen bamboo. It's, uh, it's got to be because of the fall that you have bamboo, because I, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot attractive about bamboo, except it just goes up and up, and the leaves come over onto my property, and they die. And worse yet, all of the bamboo all of a sudden I'm seeing in the old lawn, bamboo growing in the dirt in this I got bamboo this tall, you know, and so I'm going in there and I was working when they came and tilled up the lawn and just totally did the rototiller deal before they planted the new grass. And there's a part of me that has wondered once in a while when I look at it, I go, I wonder if there's bamboo that eventually is going to resurface. It's along the cement at some parts of my house where I have um, these weed spray stuff you can get, uh, weed killer stuff, and I'm just... If it's not a screwdriver getting out the weeds in the front, I'm now going around and I'm just squirting any cement area where I see a little shoot of bamboo. I saw a few today, and so I'm going to Home Depot after, and I'm getting another. <laughs> and I'm actually going to ask them, what's the strongest stuff to kill bamboo that you got on the market? And I'm not going to, don't think I'm going to go over to my neighbor and start spraying. I'm not doing that. But I'm seeing it come up. And it's, I think it's, from what I've read, it's one of the most difficult Things to kill. And I got a feeling I see a few heads shaking. They, you may have a horror story that I don't want to hear about. So unless you have a solution, don't come up afterwards and tell me anything that. 
It's choking out. It chokes out. And then he says, some seed landed on good soil in verse 8. Good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Clean. No weeds. No thorns. It's kind of like this new lawn that was rolled. It's not the kind of one you just... I wasn't there for any of the work. I was working all throughout the week, and they did it like in three or four days, so I didn't get to see any of the work other than the finished product. But I'll be honest, there's some mornings I go outside or I look in our bedroom window and I just open up the blinds and I just stare out and look at this beautiful green lawn, you know. I got to mow it today. It's about this tall. It's beautiful. It's, it's good soil now. And I can see the, how it's producing just a wonderful green grass uh, for us to enjoy. Now, okay, we, we kind of get that. So he, he kind of gives us a thought here as, as we're going to go now. We're going to start looking as to, well, well what, what kind of soil might describe my heart today? And so we gotta, we're going to jump to Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses. I want to start with probably verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. I heard it work this week that in that context of choke, Choking in, in law enforcement is, if somebody's choking, it's because they've swallowed something, you're choking. But if somebody's being choked, you're actually being strangled. If somebody says they're choking someone, they're strangling somebody. The deceitfulness, deceitfulness of wealth strangles it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what? was sown. Now we need to think a little bit about this. We need to think for a few minutes, what is Jesus saying? Verse 19. It's been really described that what this is, is this is the heart that is, if you like, unresponsive. There's, there's nothing beating here. It's unresponsive. The hard soil described here is the hard-hearted Individual. And in the sense of the gospel, at one point we were all this type of soil. We were unresponsive. And at some point, maybe we had just shunned God, had no interest in God. We were callous, hard-hearted, indifferent, whatever you want to say. We were enemies. But then the, the, the Spirit of God got hold of us. And it began to just shake up and till up that soil and turn it, like cultivate Rototill it, and our hearts became softer, 
And all of a sudden, Jesus became now, instead of maybe a curse word, or maybe just somebody that we didn't think of, if maybe just Christmas, maybe Easter, maybe not even those two days, now Jesus became this person that we now, to this day, for those of us who know him, we love him. We love him. We haven't seen him with our eyes. But we love him, and we know one day we're going to. And we're going to see those nail prints on his hands. And he is the most important person to us in all our lives. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, our life as we know it would be absolutely in shatters. Um, he's, he's our waking thought. He's our thought when we close our eyes. He's the person I trust that we are anxious to want to share and tell others about. And I confess that is not the case uh, always for me, but it should be. Because he's the antidote, isn't he? He's the cure for all of life's trials and troubles and ills. He's the sin solution to the sin problem. Jesus. But initially we had an unresponsive heart. At work when we get these kind of 911 calls and someone says someone's unresponsive. To their knowledge, their heart's not beating. This is, a, this is not a mild, I've got a sore ankle, bent toenail, sprained finger kind of response. It's critical because it's an unresponsive heart. And we read from the analogies, if, you don't got that, if we don't have that blood flowing in, what's going to be the condition of our heart? We're going to die. We have folks today who we have shared the gospel with. And at this point, they're, at this point still in time, they're, they're unresponsive. And we need to continue to pray. We need to continue to be salt and light to them and not give up. Ezekiel 11, I won't turn to it for time, but read that passage. It says that God's given us a new heart. And that's the amazing transformation. He did that transplant in us. And so the, amazing, the beautiful thing about it is, is, is he so captivates our, not only our heart, but our mind that we can't think and feel and be the same people we were. We just, we just can't if, we're, if we know him. Because he's done such a, a, a transformation on the inside out that we're now just totally different people. And we thank him for that. It's by his grace, isn't it? But I can't laugh at the same jokes that I used to laugh at. And if I do, then I feel convicted by it. And I can't watch the same stuff that I used to watch because I know that it's hurtful to him and it's the very stuff that took him to the Calvary. So I I don't want to. The motivation is completely changed because of what he's done to our heart. And the thing that Jesus got on about was the people who were unresponsive were a lot of them were religious leaders. But they were doing a lot of stuff on the outside. But he said, you know, you're like whitewashed tombs. You know, you're doing all this stuff on the outside to be seen by men. But the condition of your heart is... It's in this kind of a critical condition spiritually, and it's dead. This is a serious condition for this type of, of soil. And the struggle is, is, and the problem is for so many, is that the heart has been pounded and has been beaten down by all the deceitfulness of sin, all the lies of the enemy and of the world, the flesh and the devil, that people become insensitive and callous to sin, and they don't have if you like guilt at this point, it's a good thing to have the right kind of guilt that leads to repentance. And so as believers, if we want to take the analogy of this first type of soil, we could say, you know, part of this is what can happen to our heart is, is if we're not careful, it can even in this new state 
start to become unresponsive. Or all of a sudden, before you know it, over time, we're starting to compromise. It's becoming half-hearted. It's becoming unmoved by the very things of God. And then he describes in verses 20 and 21, there's another problem with this other type of soil that the seed fell on. It was falling on a superficial, shallow type of heart. He was enthusiastic. This person made some type of profession of faith, you would like, or they, were, they appeared to be out the gates just all for Jesus. But then tough times hit. And then some maybe begin to realize, really, what is this cost of following Jesus? And they say, not for me. I remember a friend of mine at work was this man. He was bringing Jesus for dummies into work. Uh, he was bringing Bibles to work. He was studying. He was doing it all in the radio room. He was working part-time in there as a police officer. We were short. He came. He made a profession of faith. He even was wanting within a month to be baptized in front of 600 people. And then some tough times hit. And to this day, it's probably going on three years now, I'm not, I am unable to have a conversation where he will respond to me about spiritual things. I can't read his heart. I'm trusting he'll come back. But at the moment, it appears to be a, a superficial kind of experience of maybe what he thought it would be to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. And that why, in that sense, it's why... You know, it just time tells, doesn't it? Um, a year or two often are the evidence of what's going on. And then the other problem is the worldly heart. Verse 22. What happens here is uh, the person receives a word just like others, but never really lets go of the world. This place we live right now that we're, we're somewhat... God in his wisdom has us here, but it's a struggle at times, isn't it, this world? All of its ways, it's just coming in at us through the media, through all the different ways of where our surroundings are. But this person appears to be the person, if you like, who, who wants Jesus, wants to go to heaven, wants to have a relationship in some sense, wants to avoid hell, but at the same time sort of wants to be on the fence about, you know, is it going to be, you know, Jesus in front of me, the world behind me, that chorus we used to sing. Which is it, you know? The world, Jesus. Stories told of a woman on her 80th birthday decided to prepare her will. She was um, Jewish, so she went to her rabbi to make two final requests. First, she said she wanted to be cremated. And the second was she wanted her ashes scattered over Bloomingdale's. And the rabbi said, why Bloomingdale's? And she said, then I'll be sure that my daughters will at least visit me twice a week. <laughs> and really, you can see it, can't you? And you can see it in your own life that if you were to look at your checkbook or you look at your credit card or your debit card, it's a pretty good indicator month after month after month after month on really how we view the importance of, of money and the different things that 
really ultimately God has given us. And money is a relationship that many people want to have some kind of satisfaction with and that they're content to some extent just with it. But in the end, the end of the day, it never really satisfies, does it? God ultimately has created us. It's very simple. He's created us really for relationship. Relationship with him and relationship with others. And God knew that our heart was this. And when we said, you know, when we, since we don't really have a dining room, our house is kind of small, we just have to meet in the kitchen. We thought, well, we're going to build a, a deck that's going to be large enough to seat 12 people. And we're going to, if it's raining or sh- uh, it's snowing or whatever it is, we're going to eat out on the deck now. And we got heaters and everything else and curtains and stuff. And that's where we're going to entertain. But that's where we want to have people over for hospitality. That's where we want to have our family and friends and those who don't know Christ. If we can't have them in the kitchen, we'll be there. But it's for relationship. That's, that's what brings the satisfaction in our lives. And so when you think about it, when you're in your heart, you're thinking, I wonder how much I place my importance and my identity on my career. Or how much of it is even in my home. And for some folks, I was never one of these guys. I, my struggles are in other areas, but some it's their car. You know, they want that car that just makes, I guess, everybody look. I, I just haven't gotten into that. I'm a Honda, driving a Honda Odyssey van, 2001. Our kids are long gone. I'm a soccer mom, even though I'm dad. I have nobody in it, but I'm happy with my 135,000-mile Honda Odyssey van. The wardrobe is important for some, and what happens in all of this stuff is we kind of just think about it in our own lives, not looking at everybody else now, looking at ourselves. The EKG's on us, not on our brothers and sisters around us. But as you're putting it on yourself, you have to say, you know, is the deceitfulness of riches, have I been unknowingly to some extent, am I starting to get strangled? You know, is it, is it starting to take hold, like bamboo, if you like, in my spiritual life? And what happens is it chokes out the word. And Jesus says, we, in 1 John, he goes, where John says it, you don't love the world, nor the things in the world. Love the people in the world, but don't love the system. Don't love it. There's a story told about a rich old man with this uh, cranky, miserable attitude, which sometimes can happen to us as we get older if we're not careful. Um, and he was visiting a pastor, and he was wondering why people didn't like him. And so the pastor takes him over to a window, and he says, as he looks out over the window, he goes, tell me what you see. And the guy said, well, I, I see men and I see women. It was a park, and he said, and, and, and kids playing. Then he took him across the room over to a mirror, and he asked him then what he saw. And he said, well, the man, stating the obvious and frowning, said, obviously, I see myself. And the pastor went on and he said, in the window, there is glass and in the mirror, there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little bit of silver. No sooner is the silver added that then you cease to see others and only yourself. And that's the problem, isn't it? Often our problems start when we start to see just a little silver that's added into the mirror of our life. And that's what we see rather than the full picture of people and their needs and what's going on in their lives. And then we have the receptive heart. And it's nice that Jesus concludes with the the 
the heart that many of you are. I see it, you know, in my, in my time here. You're that receptive heart. It's that forced soil which makes the work of the sower worth it all, isn't it? I mean, it would have been a huge bummer after all that work that was done in our backyard and landscaping and new flowers and stonework and all that. And, and all of a sudden to tell you today, it's all dead. I mean, it's the dog ate it all and the deers came and chewed it all up. They did to this morning out in front of the house, but not in the back of the house. It would have been such a bummer to say all that work for what? But the evidence is that your soil is good. The fact that the seed that was sown and you are producing by the power of spirit. It's evident by the fruit. It's evident by the results of what's coming out of your life. Because from the heart, it comes from from what's in within comes out, doesn't it? It just exposes itself. It comes out. It cannot be stopped. You have a voice or a willingness to listen to correction in the word of God. And when other godly men and women speak to you rather than immediately, which is such a tendency in us to get super defensive, you want to listen. You want to say, where do I need to be cleansed? Where do I need to be washed by the word of God? And I'm, I'm willing for that. You think about it with the physical heart. I take, I don't know if it does any good, but I take fish oil. May, it doesn't say will, may reduce coronary heart disease. It's kind of the routine. Brush teeth, take this pill for the last three or four years. Medication is what some people say is going to help you with your physical heart. Keep it healthy. Other folks are going to say it's really important you get what? Good exercise. You're exercising. And then, of course, you have the issues that making sure your diet is right. You've got to at least have it appears from everything I've read and simple understanding that I know about these things is diet and exercise are pretty much it. And maybe medication for those who are needing that. And isn't that just so true of what it is in the word of spiritually? You've got to have the right diet. And you've got to be getting the right exercise spiritually. Right foods. Feasting on the word of God. And then it talks about walking in the spirit. In Galatians, you know, you can kind of go with that yourself this afternoon or this week about how you can apply this. It's been said that every 34 seconds, someone dies of heart failure in the United States. 34 seconds. How many folks since we've been here this morning, if that's true, have gone into eternity? Friday afternoon, I got a phone call from Cindy. At at 5.32, I'd said to the room, "Um, man, I love this time of day because it's 15 more minutes before getting off work. And then at 5.35, they said, your wife's on the phone. And she called and she was crying and immediately, if you're on the other end of the phone when you hear that, you just kind of want to hear what? What's happened? And her um, brother, only brother who is 53, um, single, but married 18 months ago. His wife uh, had a massive heart attack on Friday morning um, while she was diving in Ventura County. And they were on a boat of 25 folks, and she went down 25 feet 
And just, I was talking to the fellow this morning who was with her in the water and saw the signs and she came up and when she was up back up on the boat, Marla was um, already, it looks like, had gone to be with the Lord. And helicopter came and they dropped a paramedic on board and they did CPR for one hour until the Coast Guard cutter came and took her to shore and there was no um, obvious signs of life. Married 18 months. 53 and 59 years old, described it as a Cinderella marriage, never apart for those 18 months together. But the amazing thing is, is, and the comforting thing is, is that Marla had a good heart. She knew Christ. Unknown to her, the autopsy appears to indicate from yesterday that she had a massive heart attack. So there was something going on unknown or known to her of what was going on with the physical heart. But her husband, David, had an opportunity with those five crew and 20 divers to be able to share with them that Marla, while they're on the boat, that Marla is okay because she knows Christ and she's in heaven now. Imagine the composure to be able to talk like that. And then... He said she had trusted Jesus and she knew him and she had, as Randy saying today, she believed in Jesus. He had an opportunity to share the gospel with 25 people on a diving boat on Friday. 25 people heard the gospel. Of course, when someone dies like that and at sea, then there were a number of police officers and deputies at, at shore, and they wanted to interview each person and take a statement from everyone and the person, the diving, and all this and that and the other. And as every person left, he was giving them a hug. He was apologizing for the delay and the inconvenience of their trip being turned around at the same time previous to that he'd shared the gospel. Well, isn't that the, that's the good seed. That's the good seed in my brother-in-law bearing itself out under the most trying of circumstances of losing your spouse just like that. And then to have the thought process that says, I'm going to turn this in an opportunity to, to glorify Jesus. Amen. How do you do that? All I can think is I've been talking to him over the last couple of days is how you do that is, is that your roots, your roots are down deep. You, you can't think that on the fly. You just, you can't. You just, you're going to be so taken back with whatever's going on around you that you're going to, that opportunity is going to come and go. You may not even be on your radar to think about wanting to share Christ with others. And he did. We've got loved ones that we know. We've got family members that we know. We have neighbors that I know that, and there may be even someone here this morning that the question is, what if suddenly, without warning, they, those people I've described, or you yourself were to pass and go into eternity just like that, in the water, looked at her, collapsed? Are you ready? Has your, is your soil that fourth soil? It's a responsive heart now to Christ. It's a heart that knows that he's your Savior and he's your Lord and he's the one you're following. He's the one you're trusting in that shed blood for you. We've got folks around us that obviously are in that first soil condition. They're unresponsive. Now, we can, because it's uncomfortable, we can 
say, well, they're never going to change, and I don't know if I want to talk about Jesus or say anything because that's just too difficult. I hate the rejection, and I don't know. It's awkward, blah, blah, blah. Or we can, again, just remember, who are these folks that God's brought into our lives, in our circle, that we need to live him and be like that for them? And just this morning or this afternoon, if you're in one of those situations where you say, well, you know, right now my soil is kind of shallow. I, it, the seed is, is getting snatched by the devil. It, it, it's not taking root in me. I, I, there's, there's worldliness going on and there's other things. And it's, it, we can, by God's spirit, he can change that. He can start to fertilize, if you like, that, uh, that soil and pl- plant new seed, the seed of the word of God. And you can have that in our lives to where we're changing. First Timothy six talks about taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That is the fruit that God wants us to produce. Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And he's exhorting Timothy when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. My brother-in-law, David, I'm just so encouraged that God gave him the grace to be able to share Christ as he just mourns the loss of his wife for such a short time. But in it all, she had a heart that was ready. Um, is your heart ready? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to just thank you for uh, this parable. We want to thank you, Jesus, for the way you are so concerned about our heart. Uh, there's not a lot of people, there's probably nobody for that matter, that really is all that concerned about our spiritual heart. Not like you. Not like you who was willing to leave heaven and come down to this earth to do something about it so that our heart could be made right because you would come in and actually transform us and change us and make us now fit in order to be in your presence with your Father and the Spirit forever. And we just want to tell you again, Lord, how much we thank you for that. I want to pray that we will have a heart that is, as Solomon said, that will guard it, um, the spiritual heart of ours, that it will protect it from anything that might make it, it, it be, that would be dangerous for it to be exposed to. Uh, stuff that will make us insensitive or callous or compromising or um, it's just a heart that's in a dangerous state. We want a healthy heart for you that beats for you and understands that every single day that you give us life and breath is to be lived for you and it's to be able in whatever capacity to serve others and to love others and to just reflect you before a world that's messed up and hurting and confused and and such a need of a savior so father we just pray you'll penetrate these things from your scriptures into our minds and that it will be not the same people uh, that we have been even in the last month or two we will be growing in jesus christ for we ask it in your precious name amen amen, amen.